Warren Farrell is an American educator, activist, and author of seven books on men's and women's issues. He came to prominence in the 1970s as one of the leading male thinkers championing the cause of second-wave feminism and serving on the New York City board of the National Organization of Women, NOW. However, when NOW took policy positions that Farrell regarded as anti-male and anti-father, he continued supporting the expansion of women's options while adding what he felt was missing about boys, men, and fathers. He is now recognized as one of the most important figures in the modern men's movements. His books cover 12 fields, history, law, sociology, and politics, the myth of male power, couples communication, women can't hear what men don't say, and father and child reunion, economic and career issues, why men earned more, child psychology and child custody, father and child reunion, and teenage to adult psychology and socialization, why men are the way they are, and the liberated man. All his books are related to men's and women's studies, consistent to his books since the early 90s has been a call for a gender transition movement. I'm incredibly pleased to have him on the show. This is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. Hi, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. I am thrilled, delighted, honored, tickled, pink as a pony, to have uh, Warren Farrell, Dr. Warren Farrell, uh, on the show. Uh, he is an uh, activist thinker and a truly great writer and a truly great public speaker, if you ever get a chance to see him, particularly if you can cut through the fracas at the University of Toronto, which we'll talk about a little later. Um, he's been recommended to me by uh, a number of listeners, one of whom said that uh, the insights that Dr. Farrell brings to the challenges of men's and women's rights are uh, brain-joltingly intense. So uh, I, I recommend that you watch the interview with a helmet uh, and possibly a crash pad. Uh, so thank you so much for taking the time. I'm looking forward to being with you. Um, I, I, the, oh, that so, brain, jo the brain jaunt jauntingly um, uh, quote, that was, that was for me, I'm quite sure. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I, I like to raise the standards so that you really feel you got something to, uh, to aim for. Right. Now, I, 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 the background people can read about, I, and so I, I don't want to, get too much into the history of where you came from, although it is very interesting. I'll certainly put a reference to it, uh, to the articles that are associated with the videos. But um, where you stand right now seems to me to be uh, with a great deal of sympathy for the challenges that men face in terms of longevity, in terms of mental health, in terms of suicidality, in terms of intimacy, vulnerability, emotional, all kinds of emotional openness and so on. I wonder if you could give a sketch as to where you see the major challenges for men um, and where you see them relative to where women are? Yeah, basically, I feel that that um, there's, there's been a very fundamental mistake made, which is believing that we lived in a patriarchal world, which um, was ruled by men um, with who created rules that benefited men at the expense of women. And I think that 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 distorts history. And I think what history is about is that historically speaking, the dominating force was the need to survive and that men made um, and both sexes had um, made oftentimes the rules in the areas where they took the dominant amount of responsibilities. So very frequently, um, 
you know, men often felt that a, 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 his home was not his castle, but his 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 obligation to pay a mortgage, and um, and he didn't feel so much like the the head of the family, even though he was called the head of the family. Um, but he often felt like the you know that, that he he was you know he had to in um, in coal mining areas he had to take off his shoes in the basement and come into the house. He he was the person expected to be drafted in a war um, and. We, we often said that a man's uh, that that men were in charge, but in fact, um, if if men were in charge in writing rules that benefited them at the expense of women, many many things would be different. Uh, men wouldn't send themselves off to die and be killed before women um, were sent off to die and be killed. The obligation to um, earn earning money was not about power and privilege for many men. Uh, if a man was a coal miner, he didn't go into mining. Um, doing mining of coal because he wanted more power and privilege. If he drove a cab, it wasn't about driving a cab for 70 hours a week because he wanted to, um, he felt that that was a powerful position. Uh, the great majority of men, uh, they, they worked hard uh, to be able to make their children's lives better than their lives were. And so, and the and what controlled them was the need to survive. And if they didn't have the means to survive, or they didn't have the the possibility of the means to survive, there were very few women who were interested in marrying men, reading uh, why men are the way they are in the unemployment lines, if you will. Um, there, so the both sexes. Now, this didn't mean that women didn't make sacrifices. They too uh, were willing to risk their lives in childbirth for the possibility of um, of having children that the society and their parents and their friends expected to them to have if they were women. They didn't get a chance to have the right to make it their own decision. So my feeling is that, that for the most part, with a number of exceptions here and there, um, that women and men, um, historically speaking, didn't have rights. They had obligations. They had responsibilities. And if we don't believe this, just ask a grandparent and how they grew up thinking about the world. And both the fathers and the mothers felt that they had responsibilities and obligations to do certain roles um, and and rights and power. Power is about should be redefined. Power is about control over your own life. And historically speaking, neither sex had power. Both sexes had roles and roles by definition is not control over your life. It is conforming to a role. Yeah, and I, it, it sort of struck me that if men had it easy at the expense of women throughout history, it wouldn't really explain why men have had to develop such strong physiques uh, relative to women. Because there are some mammals, of course, where the male and females have similar muscle masses. But if men had it so easy, why on earth are we, do we ha did we ever have to become so big and strong relative to women? Well, it's because there was a huge amount of effort that was put in by the man to take care and feed uh, mouths other than his sometimes which seem to come in a pretty endless procession so um i think that's sort of one evidence uh, that to, to to support that thesis as well i think the other big issue too on that is the area of sexuality um if 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 the world was made by men for for men's privilege um, then then women would be sexual all the time without having to marry the woman. Sex, sexual availability would be um, would be rife um, because men are interested in sexual availability. And so um, keeping sex, um, historically speaking, keeping sex in short supply until a man married a woman and in essence paid for her for the one act of sex with a lifetime of economic security, and that was certainly not a, a plan. Um, created by men for the ba uh, for the benefits of men at the expense of women, it was really to a large degree created um, 
by the needs to survive um, because in survival rules, it was important for um, men to be able to um, to support the the children that they created, and therefore um, supporting children was best done in in a contract of something like marriage, which was a stabilizing contract, and the stable and that allowed uh, men and women when they did have children, it allowed the society to have the means to support those children because if men had sex with women every time they wanted, and a large percentage of those resulted in pregnancies, there'd be children running around that the society couldn't support, and so that society or that kinship network would have fallen apart and uh, been destroyed. And so the entire feminist thesis, um, the good news about feminism is that it has expanded opportunities for women and women are playing in sports in ways that they didn't when I was growing up, that they are, they feel that the world is their oyster, which was not the case when I grew up. And I think that's that part of feminism is a blessing that should never be uh, undermined. Uh, but the part of feminism that was negative was the part that uh, demonized men and undervalued the family. And those parts have to be corrected and we have to create a, uh, not a, feminist movement that oftentimes demonizes men or a counterpart men's movement that would potentially demonize women, but a gender transition movement that helps everybody think through the old stereotyped roles of the past and make transitions into more flexible roles uh, for our future. Now, one of the things you've talked about at, at length is men being the, the suicide sex and the degree to which um, men's success in the world comes at the expense of emotional vulnerability, that if you're vulnerable as a man, you tend to get kind of shafted in various ways, where if you're vulnerable as a woman, you tend to get supported in, in many ways. Do you think that that lack of emotional expressivity and openness is one of the reasons why men seem to have such grave difficulty with things like divorce and the death of a spouse? Absolutely. And just to, to sort of verify what you're saying, that um, most people don't realize that when a man and woman um, get divorced, a man is 10 times as likely as a woman is to commit suicide. When a man and woman has a death of a spouse, if the woman is the spouse that dies, a man is also 10 times as likely to commit suicide as is a woman. And, um, and so the, when there are emotional crises, men are very ill-equipped to handle them. Um, the qualities that it takes to uh, become successful at work involve the repression of feelings, not the expression of feelings. And this is highly dysfunctional for men. Um, the feelings, telling a man not to cry is literally biologically the same thing as telling somebody not to pee. Um, the, the purpose of urination and tears are very similar. They clean out um, impurities in your system, which is why we often say, I feel so much be better. I've had a good cry. I feel better. Or at least women say that because women are allowed to do that type of crying. And so the, uh, and, but it was important historically for men to repress their feelings because when the going got tough, the, cuff the, the tough couldn't say, gee, you know, things are all falling apart here. I, I need time to cry. Um, um, and it, men were expected just to pull their act together and not go to psychologists and analyze it, but just if the house was falling, the house was burning down, you risked your life, you went in, you saved somebody, you pulled them out, you didn't say, I have, uh, this is really disconcerting to me. I think I should go to my therapist while this house is burning down and sort out my feelings. Um, men were programmed to be able to solve the problem at the moment. That's quite functional 
we should be able to keep men being able to compartmentalize when they need to. But that needs to be, but we need to add to that the the need to express express feelings so they don't keep those things compartmentalized and tied up inside of them and um, and becoming dysfunctional and coming out as post-traumatic stress syndrome of one order or the other that ends up waking in the night uh, up in the night with nightmares or um, killing somebody you love or um, or becoming abusive to alcohol right right and I if I understand that the continuation of that thesis in regards to problems between men and women goes something like this, uh, which is that women will select men who are going to be economically successful, uh, productively successful or whatever. And that success uh, in the material or economic world tends to be driven by emotional unavailability, cold, calculating, mm-hmm. advantage-seeking, lack of empathy, victorious over the other silverbacks or Wall Street traders or whatever you want to call them. And so women say, uh, and this, of course, all rank generalizations, but um, Mm -hmm. women will say, well, I want a man who's going to provide that provision comes with emotional distance. But then after I get married to him, I find the emotional distance incredibly frustrating. But I don't think that they make that connection so easily with that's kind of why they chose them to begin with. Yes, yes. Uh, When I I did the research um, for the myth of male power, one of the things I really got in touch with was the degree to which the... Um, both sexes fall in love with the members of the other sex who are the least capable of loving them. Um, men tend to fall in love with the younger women and the beautif- beautiful women. Younger women, as a rule, are less mature. Less mature people tend to be less able to love more fully. Uh, younger women tend, and beautiful beautiful women tend to be competed for to such a degree um, by men that they become often spoiled and more narcissistic and self-centered um, and unless they really fight against that. And so the uh, so they tend to be less giving and more expecting of be, being given to, even in ways that they don't understand, um, than are less attractive women who tend to sort of be more likely to defend for themselves. Conversely, women tend to fall in love with men who are uh, quite successful at work um, and 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 or have potential. But the process that it takes to become successful at work, really successful at work is inversely related to the process that it takes to become successful in love. So for example, if I'm a really good attorney and you and I are debating, I am thinking as you are talking, not about what you say and all the valuable points you're making, but I'm thinking <laughs> about um, you know, where, what's the first mistake that you're making that I can pounce on? How can I interrupt? How can I cut you off? If you're making good points, how can I distort, distort those points in a way that the opposition will think is credible and then argue with the distorted version of what you said? And so that, and if I do that really well, I'm, I'm a good lawyer. If, on the other hand, you're not my opposing attorney, but you are my client and I'm representing you and there's an opposing attorney out there and the opposing attorney makes an argument and I say to you, you know, um, Stefan, we haven't thought of that argument before. That's really a good point. Excuse me, uh, opposing attorney, sir or ma'am, can you um, tell me more about that and explain that even to a greater degree? Because we didn't understand that before. And I really facilitate and, um, and, and work to help that attorney express him or herself even more effectively. Um, I've made a lousy lawyer. But I've made, I've, I've developed, I'm developing characteristics to be a great husband um, and a great uh, father. And so the attorney that is, that's good at interrupting and good at distorting and good at um, 
listening to himself create a better argument if the other person is speaking, those are qualities that when he takes them home to his wife or if, if he's gay and it's a, a male husband um, or ch his children, the, 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 his partner or his children do not feel um, heard and loved and understood by somebody who's constantly interrupting them, distorting them, or thinking of their own best argument or even addition uh, while they're talking. And so many women don't realize that the process that it takes to become successful at work is inversely related to the process that it takes to become successful in love. So they fall in love with the men who are the least likely to be able to love them. And then they complain about those men for having characteristics that they chose. So in summary, both sexes, when you complain about the other person, really need to look in the mirror and see, you know, and understand that when you marry somebody, basically the person that you marry, that's the best statement that you can make about the choice of your values. And so look in the mirror first and look at what you chose and why you chose that person uh, before you condemn the person that you chose. Right. Now, a thesis, um, we chatted about this uh, before the show, but a thesis that Christina Hoff Summers and I, I think yourself as well have put forward is that uh, feminism has gone beyond seeking equal opportunities uh, for, for women, which, I mean, who, you know, what sane and empathetic human being could ever have a problem with that, to seeking either an egalitarianism of outcome uh, or uh, pitting the genders against each other in a way that seems pretty toxic, given that I think we kind of all developed to be partners. I mean, that, what possible breeding partners uh, in the history of any species have been antagonistic or predatory in the long mm. run towards each other? It wouldn't make any sense evolutionarily. Um, why, why do you think it's gone so much further than its original intent uh, in seeking egalitarianism of outcome rather than opportunity and to some degree to male bashing? Yeah, I think I think the 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 shadow side of feminism has not been questioned, and um, and so the, the the feminist movement when it says that you know, that men had the power and women didn't, that that perspective allowed feminists to sort of look at themselves as ants and men as elephants, and you couldn't, no matter what you said and did as an ant, you couldn't possibly harm the elephant, and so there were a lot of so that's the abstraction. The, the concrete examples of that are things like um, after, when when I was on the board of directors of the National Organization for Women in New York City, um, I remember it was the beginning of the time where divorces were beginning to occur is in the mid-1970s. And, and um, I noticed that there were a huge number of my feminist friends were getting divorced and, and people in general were getting divorced in the industrialized world in very large numbers. And so that, of course, left the decision about what happens with the children. And and so being an egalitarian um, and on the board of now and, and and hearing Gloria Steinem say things like, you know, what the world needs more of is it needs more fathers and less mother involvement. Um, and so I assumed that the next position of, of the National Organization for Women was going to be very strong support for children being equally involved with both parents after divorce. But there was and there was a little bit of time when that was that idea was put out. But then a number of women responded and said, I want the option of being able to have the children after divorce. Should I want that? I don't want feminism taking that away from me. And the uh, we on the board of now and other national organization for women chapters and the national organization for women in general, then finally came out with the decision that the woman should have the decision as to what happens with the child after divorce. 
which would be like saying men who are male doctors should have the decision as to what happens in medicine. Um, the very essence of equality was being undermined. And I said, wait a minute, uh, this, you know, isn't, aren't we supposed to be in favor of both sexes having equal opportunities? And the response that I got very openly and frankly was, if we take away opportunities from women, um, then, then we'll, we'll lose our political base. The heart, larger numbers of women will be opposed to us. We have to always expand opportunities for women. And I said, well, this isn't asking the crucial question, which is what's best for the child. So that's what led to the research for father and child reunion, in which I discovered that children who have access to both parents about equally after divorce, as long as there's no bad mouthing and as long as the parents live close to each other, those are ones that do much better than children that don't have access uh, to both parents um, after divorce. Yeah, I mean, there has been a really chilling, and I, I remember the, this even when I was growing up, and you still see it in popular culture where the women are smart and wise and the men are buffoons and, and, and so on. If, if you portrayed any other group with the, in the way in which men are portrayed in popular culture, um, I mean, you would just be accused of the most astounding bigotry, but it's just something we've kind of gotten used to. And I remember as a kid growing up, uh, I mean, I grew up uh, in the age of divorce uh, and uh, all my friends were, you know, divorced, their parents were divorced and so on. And there was not a sense that anything in particular was missing. You know, that, mm -hmm. that if you just, you kind of take a nuclear shadow and put it in the portrait of the family where the father used to be, and there was the sense that, uh, you know, maybe you've taken away a guy who scratches himself and demands a beer after dinner, but you haven't really taken anything away. And boy, oh boy, I mean, as a kid, you know that. You know that deep down something is missing, and the statistics that have come up since then on the effects of fatherlessness upon uh, uh, boys and girls is so catastrophic that it is just astounding. And it is also astounding the degree to which it remains relatively underreported, I think. Oh, I would say extremely, that you're very accurate there. It's extremely underreported. So, you know, for your listener, just let me, let's be really concrete and clear about some of the things that are missing when fathers are missing. Um, children that are raised without significant amounts of involvement, about equal amounts of involvement from dads, um, they're far more likely to um, do less well academically. They're far less likely to have less empathy, much less likely to be um, less assertive, but more aggressive, inappropriately aggressive. They're more likely to wake up at night and have nightmares. They're likely to have temper tantrums. Uh, they're more likely to be um, to be absent from school. They're more likely to have problems with physical health. Um, they're more likely to have psychological problems. They're more likely to much more likely to do things like the uh, the massacre in um, in Newtown. Um, the, the, a very high percentage of, of of children that boys that grow up to kill and to um, misuse their masculine energy, um, or that have a, have what might be called a failure to launch. They just don't do well in life. They're they're ensconced in video games. They're they're uh, immersed in video porn, um, but they are they're fearful in that immersion in, in video porn of being involved with real life women. They're more comfortable with the lack of rejection that comes from turning on a porn uh, flick. They're 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 very comfortable with a Madden NFL, if you will. Um, in, in, but the, the, the Madden NFL, NFL being National Football League, in case somebody's not familiar with football. Um, and but they're not at all good at playing football and and so and, and the reason one of the reasons for that is that 
one of the things that fathers contribute to a family is the greater tendency on average to be more tough love oriented to enforce boundaries so for example after a divorce if a, a child is having um, a dinner um, a mom will and dad will typically set the same boundaries with the child you can't have your ice cream until you finish your peas but the mom will say to and then the child will always test the boundaries with both parents with the mom it'll it'll have a few more peas and say now i've had a few more peas now can i have my ice cream and it will say the same thing to the dad but the response in a divorced family usually of a mom versus a dad is often very different a mom is much more likely to say after the child has a few extra peas okay sweetie i did ask you to finish your peas before you had your ice cream but i'll tell you what <clears throat> you did try hard and so you can have your ice cream now and mom is thinking you know I've, we're divorced we've had a hard day we have only a few precious moments together am i going to get into an argument over a few peas and when in the past she's seen her husband get into an argument over a few peas she thought she's thought how insensitive of him the father on the other hand will say excuse me uh, you can choose to not finish your peas but you know we have a deal here and the deal is if you finish your peas you'll get your ice cream and if you don't you won't so you make the choice and you take the consequences and the and the, the boy will or the girl child will yell and say oh boy you're so mean mommy lets me do it differently and yeah you know, lets me have the ice cream and and the, and the father says well you can continue whining also but you'll also if you continue whining you have no peas no ice cream tomorrow night either and the boy gets the understanding with the father that it has no option but to finish the, the peas in order to get the ice cream so boys with fathers are far less likely less than half as likely to have adhd as boys raised predominantly by mothers so let's look at that example in relation to adhd attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and the the boy with the mom is learning that if i manipulate a better deal i'll get the ice cream i won't learn postpone gratification i have to eat the peas in order to get the ice cream i'll learn that manipulation will get me what i want better than do than have and it's less effort than having to finish the peas with the father the boy has no choice but to to learn postpone gratification i have to finish the task of eating my peas before i get what i want so the boy with the dad is learning unconsciously that he has to complete certain he has to do things that he doesn't want to do in order to get to do the things that he wants to do and without postponed gratification that probably is more important than any other um, skill set to being able to accomplish whatever you want you can't be good at anything unless you have postponed gratification that one of the key qualities of maturity is having the quality of being able to postpone gratification and so the boundary enforcement that fathers tend to be more comfortable with the willingness to get into a temporary argument with the son so that or the daughter so that in the future they don't have to deal with the issue each time leaves the father far less exhausted leaves the children and the father far more connected leaves the child much more uh, successful in life and far more empathetic because those same types of skills mean that the child is thinking of what the dad wants and the dad's needs um, to get the dinner over or whatever um, rather than just thinking of himself or herself and so that just gives you one clue out of some 30 different examples like that that i could give you that create different 
qualities that are, tend to be more positive in children raised by um, uh, with a, an equal amount of father involvement. Now, that doesn't mean that mother involvement isn't also important. It is crucial for fathers to know that when, for example, a boy falls up, uh, over on the on the ski slope, uh, that the that the that the that, the, that, the, that there's a need for that child to cry after he falls and hurts himself, and that the crying um, and the and the the, ch the father shouldn't just say, "Okay, you fall and get back on your skis and, and and ski." On the other hand, the mother, who tends to be a lot better at letting the child cry, often says, "Now, sweetie, if you don't want to ski again, or if you don't want to do that anymore, or if you want to quit the soccer team, you can do that. Whatever you wish to do." Um, but so the combination of both the mother and father, the checks and balances of male and female energy tends to be what works best for, for children, uh, whether of divorce or of an intact family. Yeah, I think that's very well put. And it, it has struck me many times that this is true of even couples who stay together where both people work outside the home. Uh, I'm fortunate to to be able to stay at home uh, with uh, my daughter and I'm willing to have conflicts with her over important things because those conflicts only constitute a very small proportion of the time we spend together. Whereas mm -hmm. if I have maybe an hour of, quote, free time with her, I don't want to spend half of it fighting. And so there does tend to be this uh, let it slide thing or it'll sort itself out and and so on. And um, I think that is to the detriment of, of kids in the long run because they, they do need the deferral of gratification, as you point out. It's the essence of both maturity and success. And do you think this contributes to a statistic that, oh, it just every time I come across statistics in in gender areas as in other areas, like they literally blow my mind. The statistic, um, I think it's particular to the U.S. I don't think it's much better up here in Canada, which is that half of boys do not complete high school. Did I, did I get that right? Am I? Why is this? Why are the skies of of policymakers not raining down horror and solutions upon this unbelievable decimation of male potential? No, no, it's not half of all boys. It's, I think that's half of African American boys. Um, oh, okay. uh, complete high school. I believe that's the, the, the data on that. I have to check that out. Uh, in Canada, there's also a, a very um, a, a big gap between male and female um, completion of high school. And <clears throat> one of the big gaps in Canada, too, is in the differences in scores between girls and boys in reading scores and writing scores. And the reading scores and the writing scores are the two most important scores because they're the greatest predictors of who will be able to be employed. And, that's, and that used to be true, but it's even more true in the future because a lot of it in the past when a, a boy didn't do well in academia or reading and writing and th or math or uh, whatever, um, he could get a job as a mechanic or get a job um, with using physical labor to quite a degree, bit of deg uh, degree. Um, and so he would maybe go into construction, let's say. But nowadays, or might, let's say he's a welder. But in the future, welding is not just going to be a physical activity. Welding will require you knowing chemistry, knowing physics, knowing a certain amount of algebra. Um, being in construction is going to have, um, uh, require you knowing a significant amount about rob robotics and electronics. Um, even you know, a car mechanic today needs to know a lot more about um, electronics than used to be true in the past. And so um, the, there's not going to be an easy escape. Um, for decent paying jobs uh, for people that don't do well in school. And so uh, the attention to our boys and not, and the other big issue is when boys don't get jobs, 
women don't marry you know boys and men who are in those unemployment lines as i mentioned before and so so women then end up um, instead of marrying men who are earning significantly less or are unemployed they end and raising children by themselves and those children become children without postponed gratification to a large degree and and obviously many women counter that and are effective and, and they you know they spend their life working extremely hard to raise children um, as successfully as they can and so this is no fault of the woman it's the the male female dynamic that doesn't work effectively uh, to the maximize the child the child's benefit and so you when you don't have children doing well in reading and writing, boys doing well in reading and writing, and they can't get jobs and don't get married and can't be fathers, and then the, the children don't have father involvement, uh, that perpetuates a, a cycle that is, that is extremely destructive, not only to the family, but boys who don't do well in the economy, and they, they have energy. And when male energy is not used constructively, it is used destructively. Men are either your biggest constructive or your biggest destructive force in the society. We're either the most likely to be the inventors and the creators and the CEO, but we're also most likely to be the serial killers and the murderers and um, and you know and the and the ma and the major thieves. And so, if you don't do well by boys, you don't do well by the society. Right. I just I just looked it up um, while I was listening. Um, it's uh, sixty five percent of boys do graduate, thirty five percent of boys don't, and I think seventy two percent of girls do. So sorry, it was a little off, but yes, you're right. For African American, it is um, it's half the boys don't graduate. Now, I'll just share with you a thought that I've had off and on over the years, and to get your your feedback on it. Um, the cycle of violence tends to be well understood, in obviously in psychological and in sort of self knowledge circles, you know, that there's a greater propensity for victims of abuse to abuse and so on. And yet, it's always seemed curious to me that women seem to be largely excluded from visibility in, in the cycle of violence. So, you know, for instance, a, a, a boy who grew up sort of hating women or being a misogynist or whatever, mm -hmm. I don't think that many people look there and say, well, who were the female influences early in his life who may have been disappointing or abusive or neglectful and so on that may have given him this negative view of women that is too deep to be rational, is too deep to be empirical, mm -hmm. uh, must be sort of early childhood experiences. Certainly when I was growing up, I mean, it was it was a world of women. I mean, you know, you know female nannies, um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, daycare teachers, uh, all the teachers, uh, most of the teachers for early childhood is um, uh, women. When I worked in a daycare, I was like the only guy. and <laughs> There were women all over the place. And the degree to which women influence early childhood and the degree to which early childhood influences adult morality, it just seems like, I don't know. I don't know how to put it without sounding offensive to someone. So I'll, I'll just sort of out and say it. It seems that we are not giving women the egalitarian potential to do harm that we accept in men. You know, that, that women can do evil and men can do evil and that the women that evil may or may not be doing to kids when they're young, uh, neglect or abuse or whatever, uh, ha is part of the cycle of violence. But it's not something that we really talk about or discuss very much. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right. And we we look we often hear, well, men create wars or corporations are led by men. They're greedy, <clears throat> and this is you know a result of male responsibility type of thing. And we sort of we're very quick to be able to associate the um, the negative sides of corporations or governments um, um, doing war or corruption corruption with with th those were predominantly 
positions held by males and males as a result of that we'd have a much better world if we had equal numbers of women in corporations or equal numbers of um, women in um, government uh, is a very common um, statement um, but we don't say uh, but wait a minute all these children to a much greater degree were statistically speaking more likely to be brought up by uh, by women but particularly recently um, go from a, an all-female home into a an all-female elementary school and have a, a female nanny and um, and so oftentimes for boys that discovered for example gangs um, the that was their first male role model and um, and it was the result of in partially a result of having no no male role model until they got six seven or eight and we don't say gee you know is there any responsibility for all these women um, who were the ones to bring up this this, this boy that isn't even that isn't even on the radar of most people's willingness to ask, and most people that did ask that and tried to apply for a um, a mainstream job while asking that question would be or making that comment or making that observation would be um, would unbecome a candidate for a mainstream job merely by <laughs> to put it um, nicely mentioning that <laughs> statement. So you and I are now unbecoming a candidate for a mainstream job. Right? <laughs> Excellent. I, I, I've always considered that like my hero Socrates, a, a mark of honor rather than of, of yeah. dishonor. It's like and, Richard Nixon's um, enemy list. Yeah. Yay. Good for <laughs> me. Um, and I, I think it is I think it is tragic. Um, and I think it is something that I mean, I almost feel this um, this visceral resistance among certain politically correct segments of society to look at the mess, the the abominable mess that has been created over the past 30, 40, 50 years. Um, I mean, it's a variety of things, of course. I mean, one of the things that tames men's often wild energy, as you point out, we we tend to um, not cluster around the center of the bell curve in terms of moral mm -hmm. energies and, and abilities. Uh, we tend to be really good or really bad, really smart or really mm -hmm. dumb. And, and to harness and, and manage that uh, has taken usually um, bringing down the the wild testosterone horses of male energy with the soft lassoes of you know matrimony and and fatherhood and so on, yes. and since women have tried to go it alone, it hasn't diminished the need for resources within the family. They've just been shifted from individual men to collectivized taxpayers. You know now of course mm -hmm. we have massive subsidies towards single parent households, most of almost all of whom are headed by um, by women. And so, in a sense, men have like, okay, we have kids, and now, quote, society as a whole is going to pay for their upkeep and their education and their health care and so on. And it's created a very unstable kind of situation where men tend to have fewer responsibilities. And normally in the past, if you didn't take on your responsibilities, you wouldn't get to have sex because women would say, well, no, thanks. You're a shiftless bum and I don't want to have anything to do with you. But that's really changed. And I mean, what a, I think disaster for, for children as a whole and, and for men, of course, and women too. Well, yes, I think it's changed and not changed. The interesting thing is that there's a much greater percentage of, of boys who have an ex what, what is called a failure, what, what I call in the book I'm doing now, Boys to Men, uh, called a failure to launch <coughs> and that, that just don't have their act together that that are listless, that are you know, that are preoccupied with playing video games or 
uh, are satisfied with video porn. And when you ask them, you know, don't you want to do something more? They sort of half of them says, well, sort of. And the other half says, well, why should I? Because if, you know, if life is working okay as it is, and perhaps on some unconscious level, there's an unconscious wisdom to this. You know, they look at the people who have launched and, you know, who are, you know, fathers with divorces or fathers in dead end jobs that they are, that make decent money, but they hate the jobs. And, uh, you know, or, or um, and they say, you know, what is, you know, or fathers that, so they look at a father that's divorced and has lost his children, but is still paying for an ex-wife and, and the children uh, financially, but is not really having a, a lovely life or a lovely connection. And they ask themselves, do I really want to go there? Is that If that's what launching is about, a failure to launch seems fine with me. Um, but this, this creates enormous amounts of um, psychological problems. Uh, for the boy who really, when he does want to be interested in something, he wants, he's, he has something, let's say, in a, a community college that he sees as an opportunity, and he just can't finish his homework because he d hasn't had that discipline of postponed gratification to even succeed at what anything that he might discover that he wishes to succeed at. And that obviously makes him depressed. And so he might get on to Adderall or Ritalin or some type of um, drug to sort of help him um, tame his ADHD. But that only creates different problems in the brain that leaves him with another series of, of problems down the road. And so we, if we don't deal with the issue of having both mom and dad involved with the family and a dozen other issues, having the school system become more user friendly to boys, like having more recess time when boys don't have physical activity um, to integrate with their 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 grades, their grades go down. When boys do have physical activity, their grades go up. Um, the amount of time used in physical play up to a certain point actually increases grades for boys. It is not decreased grades for boys. And it does for girls almost to the same degree, but not to the same degree as it does for for um for boys, girls are have a lot more tolerance for being able to sit and take notes and be um, less uh, fidgety. Um, and vocational education, um, the school systems have by and large cut back to a great degree vocational schools, whereas in Japan and and in Germany, uh, vocational schools are much more integrated um, into the into the system. And when people graduate from vocational schools in in Japan, more than ninety eight percent of them. Um, get jobs, and so that's not that's way way over um, what happens for for boys when they graduate from school in the United States and in Canada, and so there's um, and so taking away things that are user friendly for boys in schools has been an enormous mistake that we're all paying a price for, um, and turning the government into a substitute husband to pay for boys and girls being raised without fathers is a very uh, penny-wise and pound-foolish uh, way to raise children. Yeah, I mean, I think in the U.S., 40% uh, of uh, children are now born out of wedlock. Would we not call that a failure to defer gratification on the part of the women? Like, just wait till you're married and in a stable relationship, for heaven's sakes, like every generation of women up until the 1970s, uh, until you have... And this failure to launch thing, I, I, I mean, I certainly heard about it, and uh, I, we, we talked about. It. I've read um, uh, Doctor Zimbardo's. Uh, it's a great book, um, mm -hmm. uh, The Demise of Guys. Demise but of uh, yeah, it's it seems almost it's not so much a failure to launch as it is nowhere to land. I mean, I remember growing up, uh, as I said, I grew up in the seventies and eighties, and, and I, I really remember not having 
any particular clue that I was of value to society or that I was necessary for a family or that uh, I was important to the world as a whole. I mean, teenage boys were always kind of portrayed as kind of annoying, kind of snarky, kind of smelly, kind of self-involved, kind of lazy, kind of, you know, scrawny and, and all that. And there was no sense that I ever got. I mean, I certainly got the sense that women were essential to the world, that women were hugely important to the world, and women were generally considered to be better. You know, men men are just broken women. That's a sort of sad, <laughs> sad statement. But I never really got the sense. I think this is probably true. It must be even worse now for people, uh, men younger than me. Never got a sense that that society really needed me. Like I was just something that society had to put up with until I, you know, learned how to shower twice a day or something like that. Yes, I mean, yes. and I think that this this lack of of respect for for young men and the data is so clear that that without young men families tend to go i mean as i think um uh the american writer ann coulter has pointed out there's no single worse predicting factor for the outcome of a child than being from a single parent household i mean mm-hmm. uh, gender doesn't do it race doesn't do it uh, socioeconomic status doesn't do it health doesn't do it uh, location doesn't do it the, the single worst factor outcome is and so Young men uh, are essential to a family, and society is is collapsing without them. And it just it would seem kind of nice for society to mention this to young men once in a while. But it seems like this just this massive I don't know if it's pride or or the the sort of fallacy of sunk costs or confirmation bias. But people are just not willing to say, "Oops, men, sorry, uh, we thought you were disposable. It turns out that nature was right. Sorry for the long rant. It turns out that nature was right, and you are absolutely necessary." Please come back. We need you. Yes, and that's because, very, first of all, I totally agree. And certainly, um, once you accept the feminist premise that men had all the power and women didn't, you then sort of, in the, and you and you define power as uh, are, are, your me- your metric is, um, are, ne- are women equal numbers of members of Congress, Senate, Supreme Court, and so on? Then you can let you, then you can give yourself the excuse to neglect boys and men until the metrics that you measure equality by are 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 equal. And you blind yourself to all the other variables and things and considerations that are you know that are that that are part of this process. And you don't answer the you don't understand the core question. I mean, men do earn more money than women, and they but they earn more money than women not for the same work but for 25 different work-life choices that men and women on average tend to make at work. And when we, when we just assume that, the, and so for example, never married women who have never had children have earned more than never married men who have never had children since the 1970s. And recently they earn 117% more um, than never married men who have never had children. And so when you don't see the world in terms of, when you see it only in one way, and you don't look at all the variables and dimensions of it, you can then excuse things like Homer Simpson's and the, the transition that we've gone from father knows best to father knows less. Or if you watch Lifetime Channel from father knows best to father molests, uh, the, you know, and, and, and the boy grows up looking at what is a male? He's either, you know, um, uh, he's either shooting somebody, he's, he's using a gun, 
he's doing harm or he's a super success. And if I can't be a super um, success and a hero, then I'm left with the Homer Simpson types of images. And no one is questioning that. We have, you know, kids with T-shirts and, and postcards and so on saying, you know, boys are stupid, throw rocks at them. And, you know, no one would say blacks are stupid, throw rocks at them, or Jews are greedy, throw rocks at them. Um, those things would be caught immediately as being, um, you know, or, or women are stupid, throw rocks at them, would be just considered outrageous and hate speech and so on. So we've, we've because we've said that the world is run by men for men at the expense of, of women, We've given ourselves the excuse to never look at the problems that boys have because they appear to still be in charge. But it's exactly the appearance of still being in charge that's, that's part of the problem, that they can never acknowledge um, where they're fail feeling, failing, how they're hurt, and what they're feeling. And those things become very dangerous. Um, for um, th Those are things we need to look at or we're not going to have boys that um, our daughters are uh, that are that are worthy of our daughter's love yeah it is um it is a strange thing and i think i don't want to get overly libertarian but it is a strange thing that when you start to get governments involved in the family and this is back to charles murray's losing ground argument from the 80s when you start to get governments involved in the family you fundamentally change cause and effect you change incentive mm -hmm. structures uh, in in very catastrophic ways uh, mm -hmm. If governments are going to pay uh, for illegitimacy, then women become less interested in quality men and men become less interested mm -hmm. in in sticking around the consequences. And society as a whole becomes less interested in promoting the values that will mm -hmm. uh, you know, try to avoid the, quote, you know, mm -hmm. old time shame and the sort of uh, 40s and 50s of, of having a, a, a baby without having um, a husband, which was, you know, considered a very bad thing. And statistics have shown, even if you support uh, women financially through the state, it's still a very bad thing because you still are not having a mm -hmm. configuration that we've sort of evolved mm -hmm. to to have. And I think that bypassing of male breadwinners um, and, and the very idea, of course, that uh, if women want to have, uh, you know, two, three or four children, that this is not going to, and want to breastfeed them, which, of course, I hope they would, that this is not going to have an impact on their professional um trajectory i mean it would it takes an enormous amount of ideology to believe some some really ridiculous things that that you know i think your average ape would be able to figure out fairly fairly easily um i mean if you said to a woman i mean i would love to be your husband but the odds are 90 to 95 percent that i will uh, wander off for a couple of years uh, a couple of times uh, how do you think? And she'd be like, well, no, I think I'll stick with someone who'll stick around. And employers mm -hmm. face, face the same challenges. Um, mm -hmm. So again, it's just one of these things like, well, of course, the, there's going to be a diminishment of salary when you take time off to have children. That doesn't mean that it's a bad decision. It's wonderful to have children, but mm -hmm. they have your cake and eat it too. I mean, I think that's male pragmatism doesn't accept that as so much. But if you can convince society that you're a victim... You gain resources when the government is involved in these kinds of things. You can uh, bully or browbeat or whine or, or complain or, or, you know, attack or wave picket signs. And, you know, as, as was happened with your speech at the University of Toronto, you can uh, raise a ruckus and people will throw you money and power through the state. That doesn't really tend to happen in, in civil societies much. But sorry for this again, long tangential rant. But once you get the state involved, uh, complaining and setting people against each other can get you resources that otherwise would no, never materialize. Yes. Unfortunately, feminists have specialized in victim power. And, and when you start competing to be the best victim, uh, then you, you, you create not female empowerment, 
but female um, disempowerment, and and that's been a, a real mistake. And certainly, this the the government has become a substitute husband to a, a large degree. And when you start giving women incentives to not be married and not have the man involved in order to be able to get more money by not having the man involved, you are reversing the uh, incentives that would um, that would be functional. The one area of government involvement that I think has proven to be fairly functional for a, a, a more effective family unit is the um, is the law in Sweden that that says that if you have um, that, that 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 if you take a paternity leave for I think it's up to six months or a year I'm forgetting which um, then if you don't take that paternity leave you will lose it. And um, and and that has gotten a lot more father involvement in um, in countries where the uh, in Canada also has they used to have a law that that did not uh, that was very tight on paternity leaves and when that law was loosened uh, in Canada there was a much greater increase um, in the percentages of men that took paternity leaves because you know in the old days if you didn't have any type of incentive uh, to take a paternity leave you just wouldn't take it because. You would fear um, cutting, you know, cutting back too much on your on your uh, work. So the the women would raise the children, and the men would have very minimal minimal involvement. And when the child was born, the father had to increase his uh, focus on the workplace, and therefore be away from the child during very crucial years. So um, I think it's very important to not be um, controlled by either the ideology of the left or the ideology of um, that and and always look at each individual situation and say you know what is there that's you know what are not just the immediate consequences I think many of the many left wing people tend to sort of say if there's if there's somebody starving let's give them a fish and if they're still starving let's continue giving them a fish and I think libertarians and conservatives tend to understand that teaching them how to fish is better. On the other hand, there are certain things that government can do that get, put the incentives in a direction that might have long-term consequences that are that are valuable. And so we should always say, you know, where where do we need government, and where is government going to be dysfunctional in the short run and dysfunctional in the long run? For the most part, its involvement in family matters is dysfunctional in the long run. But that most part situation should never blind us to the possibilities of exception to that exceptions to that rule. Right. Well, I wanted to make because we again we talked before uh, the show. Oh, I hate calling it a show. It sounds like we're about to break into tap or something. But um, uh, we we talked before about some of your upcoming projects. Uh, of course, I'll link to your website. Uh, so you're you're writing a book with John Gray. Is is that right? Yes, I'm doing a book. Um, that'll probably be called Boys to Men um, with John Gray, the fellow that wrote um, Men Are from Mars, Women Are from Venus. And um, although if, if someone's listening to this and they sort of want the core, um, the, the book that that libertarians tend to love that I wrote is a book called The Myth of Male Power. And that looks at some of these the dysfunctional ways that government has uh, gotten involved as a as substitute husbands that have tended to undermine the family and has tended and looking at victim power and how dysfunctional that has been and looking at a great deal of the um the 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 aspects of feminism that have been the shadow side of feminism um and so those the myth of male power probably expresses that the best all right and um i'm it's probably worth adding because of the volatility of the subject um you know the the usual asterisks caveats i mean my wife practices psychology i think she's a you know wonderful opportunity my daughter i want her to have all the opportunities uh, in the world uh, but uh, i definitely do want to remind 
men that whether you're told or not, you're needed. You know, the, the DNA of society cries out for your involvement, cries out for your engagement, cries out for your resources. And I'm sorry to men as a whole, particularly the younger men who've been told otherwise. Uh, but uh, if you if you stay off to the sidelines of society, the game tends to go very bad very quickly. And uh, mm -hmm. I hope that this will encourage some men to uh, to think about uh, engaging more actively in family life, in professional life, in deferring gratification, getting a good education, whatever you want to do that is your passion because uh, the uh, the sort of quicksand of immediate gratification does lead to a very dead place, particularly when you get older. And uh, just to remind uh, women as well to choose choose men with quality, uh, choose men of longevity, uh, long-lasting values of deep values and commitment um, uh, I think the revolution to to fix society really has to start in our personal choices, particularly our romantic choices, our family choices, our parenting choices. It is very seductive. This is true in the libertarian community in particular. It's very seductive to get uh, dragged into lots of very abstract debates about things you have no control over, but to really focus on bringing our ethics of, of peace and commitment to our personal lives, I think is is the great revolution. And of course, I think this is, it's magnificent, the work that you've done uh, in this field. And I really wanted to to thank you for that, you know, as a father, as a man, as a human being, as a part of the Western culture. Um, it's hugely important. And it is a voice uh, that uh, the, the men's rights voice or, or the balancing rights voice, whatever you want to call it, it is so essential because it is a message that is so downplayed in society and uh, it does sideline some of the people we need the most. And I think that's really mm -hmm. tragic. And by the time they figure out they're sidelined, it often is too late to circle back uh, very easily and get, get themselves going again. So I hope that the work that you're doing uh, is going to wake people up to that. Is there anything else? That, sorry, again, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing the ramble here, but is there anything else that you wanted to add? Um, because uh, the, the work you're doing is so important. I, I would hate to be the guy who gets the last word on you. No, no, that's fine. I think I think the, the one of the words that you said, you know, the sense of we have a purpose, and men need to know we have purpose throughout all of history. The you know the societies that survive survive based on telling its boys that your purpose was to be disposable, disposable in war, disposable in work. We didn't say your purpose was to be disposable. We said your purpose was to be a war hero, but that required the willingness to be disposable as needed. Or we said we need you as a as a coal miner, and that required you to be disposable as needed. Um, but we got boys to be able to do these things by saying you have a purpose. And boys today oftentimes are not being told we have a purpose, and that and when and boys are not told they have a purpose, we tend to stagnate. And so. Um, we really need to see how crucial we are in the process of, of raising children, and we need to see that our energy, our types of energy have has an enormously important value in the workplace. Um, our creativity, our willingness to um, to not put friendship with children above the, a tough love and and love in that way with children. So these are the things that are really the crucial and understanding the workplace. Um, when I did the research for a book called uh, Why Men Earn More and What Women Can Do About It, I really discovered exactly you know, a very libertarian philosophy that you know, that the workplace really rewards people who serve it best. And when people are not serving it effectively, it doesn't reward them regardless of gender. And this is why children, w women who um, who put more energy into work outproduce male counterparts. And so we, we need to realize that we haven't grown up in a world that is a, a plot against women um, and, and, and in favor of men. We've really grown up in a world that is a lot more balanced than that. And we have had a, a distorted view of that that we really need to unweave 
uh, before we have a tapestry uh, of love. Wise words indeed. And I really, really want to thank you for your time. Uh, I hope we can chat again. And um, thanks again for all the work that you've done. It's a, it's a pleasure. And it's really great to see the work you're doing and that somebody is really um, thinking and going in depth rather than just um, brushing over the surface. Thank you again. Take care. Bye-bye.